Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I'm so pumped to bring this word today. This, this word is something that's been burning on me uh, for the last couple of weeks. And the idea is that I think that it's the heart of God to continually lead us forward. No step back. So I want to unpack out of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. I want to unpack a portion of Scripture and I'm going to ask you to listen in and lock in with me and see what God says to you out of this. Talking about the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed Him, for they all were expecting Him. Then a man named Jairus, can you say Jairus? A synagogue leader came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Could you picture the desperation in that moment to hear about this man named Jesus who not only was teaching with authority but moved with genuine spiritual authority to the point where sick people were healed, where people that had been oppressed by evil spirits were released And Jairus, who at that point is a synagogue leader, he's a local religious leader, but in that culture, that type of religious leader provided a community hub in their locale, a place where people who are going about their business, whether they're stonemasons, whether they're carpenters, whether they're traders, could come together week in, week out and be empowered and engage in worship, in community. And this man who was a synagogue leader hears about Jesus and in a point of desperation on behalf of his daughter says that he came and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, that was a little bookmark in the journey. This whole story starts with Jairus seeking Jesus. And I can imagine being Jairus after falling at Jesus' feet in desperation. My daughter, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter. And could you imagine leading Jesus through the crowd? almost grabbing him by the hand as the crushes around, ignoring people to the left and the right. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. You, you can't stop. You can't stop. This is, this is desperate. This is desperate. We, we, we can't stop. You don't understand. We can't stop. But Jesus stops because somebody made a transaction of faith. Jesus never moves beyond our transaction of faith with Him. He stops and He engages with us where we engage with Him. And so this woman in desperation, this wasn't even her story. 
This wasn't about her. There was every chance that Jesus was going to walk on by. And in fact, I imagine that's what Jairus wanted. But she presses in and grabs and grabs and grabs in faith what is available to her and is instantly healed. And so in a story that's not about her, she receives from God what she needs. But I imagine being Jairus in that scenario. Come on, we just gotta go. Come on, come on, clock's ticking. Come on, Jesus. There's no breaks here. We need to keep going. But it goes on to say in verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother. That's what jumped out to me. Don't bother. Don't annoy. Don't trouble. Don't be a hassle to Jesus. Don't bother. I I don't know if you've ever received don't bothers in your life, whether they've come from people outside or even within. But there's this constant battle with this idea of don't bother when devastation has hit, where discouragement has hit, where disappointment has hit. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with the lie of don't bother. In fact, if that was me in that scenario, and it was my daughter Zoe who was sick and in desperation I'm leading Jesus through the crowd and this selfish lady steps in and takes the power that was meant for my little girl. And if somebody came to me and said, don't bother, I wonder what my response would have been. I wonder if naturally I would have wanted to agree with that word, don't bother. Do you know how insidious that lie is for life? To follow Jesus and know Jesus and experience Jesus, but yet be presented with the lie, don't bother. And what do you do with that? How do you overcome that? How do you move beyond that? Because there's potential that the story stops there. Do you know that for some, that would be the end point of the story. That would be the full, the full stop in the moment that I went and found Jesus and I brought Him through the crowd and He stopped and then they said, don't bother and I walked away. How easy is it to live life like that? You know, I was thinking recently of my father, William Foster, a man who was a hero to me. Spent over 30 years as a paramedic. It was a type of job that I didn't understand growing up because all I saw was my dad driving a really cool tricked out ambulance that had sirens that I could just wave and he'd turn on for me anytime I asked. I didn't really understand what he did. But I know now that my dad saved countless lives in our local community, that He was with people in the worst of the worst situations that He provided a calming influence when people were faced with devastation and despair. Could you imagine walking into an environment where all hope is gone and you're there to bring stability? That was His job. Add into that all the health requirements and personal care and the things that you would have to face as people, you often see them in the worst of the worst. Lashing out, venting, why bother? Don't bother. I remember a story that he told me 
once that he was travelling back from a job. So I grew up in a rural community that had all these different rural communities all spread off into the, the, the upper Maclay, the upper parts of the river. And these were the type of communities that you got to on those type of dirt roads that were maybe one car length wide. And they were the type of roads that were cut into embankments and that if you got too close to the edge, you could fall off the edge. And if you fell off the edge in certain places, nobody would find you. And so he would regularly get called out to the most remote places and be there to provide health care and support and crisis aversion. And I remember he told me of a story once after he'd met Jesus and after he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit and after his life had been changed by the power of God, that he'd lived most of his life as a paramedic, doing things on his own terms, but after God filled him with His Spirit, he was empowered to live life full and led by the Spirit. And he was driving back from a job. he just finished what they'd come to do and he was driving around a bend, dirt road, embankment on the other side, And for whatever reason, he told me, I just felt like I had to stop. It wasn't anything I could see that was out of the ordinary. I didn't see any problems. I didn't see anything on the road that would say stop. I didn't see anything off the road that would say stop. There was an embankment down there. I couldn't see what was down there, but I just felt like something was wrong. And he could have kept on going. He was in the ambulance with his partner. I mean, how do you explain that? Hey, dude, Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Something's up. I don't know if you've ever felt anything like that. He could have just said, don't bother and drove on. But he couldn't budge what he was feeling. And so they stop. They get out of the ambulance and they start having a look around. There's no problems. There's no skid marks. There's there's nothing to say that there was any issue. I don't even believe there was any roadkill. But he gets to the edge of the embankment and he looks down and there down is a car, face first, bonnet down. They've possibly been driving through maybe 20 minutes or so before they came around the same bend. And in there was the driver and he was trapped in a remote area with no physical signs that he'd gone off road. He could have kept driving. Why bother? Why bother? It's a challenge that we all need to overcome. That it would be the heart of the pressure or the devastation or the discouragement to pull back. But God, by His Spirit, would lead every single one of us to press on and do what He's called us to do. So the response out of don't bother, Jesus says in verse 50, hearing this, hearing the don't bother, Hearing the don't hassle Jesus, hearing the idea of pulling back and stopping and standing still and just let it be what it is. Hearing this, this is Jesus' response. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's interesting that you overcome the don't bother by attacking fear, intimidation and the things that would hold us back. He says, just believe and she will be healed. You know, that idea of don't be afraid comes from this idea of fear sometimes is a paralysing force in life. This force that not only stops us 
living out of confidence, but it causes us to stand still when it would be the heart of God to say, just keep going, just keep going. I know others would say that the situation and scenario is hopeless, just keep going. Don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Verse 54. But when he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up, her spirit returned at once and she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Another translation says that as the people were ridiculing Jesus, verse 54, it says that he put them outside. You know, I think one of the greatest struggles we have in living out of the potential that God's given us is to deal not only with the attitude of don't bother, but the pressure that we would sense or feel that comes on us from outside or even inside. That the challenge is for us to take hold of everything that God has available in our day-to-day lives. That in your workplace, the Holy Spirit is present because you are there. In each and every situation and scenario you find yourself in, God is there because you are there. That He actually lives in you by His Spirit and He moves in you by His Spirit. So that where others may feel a sense of don't bother, where others may listen to the voices of ridicule, that the Spirit of God Himself would lead you through so that you can overcome and even lead others to victory. And so if I can, I would love to submit some handles. What can we do with this idea of don't bother? First thing I would love to suggest is that we should seize faith instead of fear. Don't let the story stop. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven to eight, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Come on, I'm gonna say that again. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. In Matthew eleven twenty two, it says, and whatever things you ask, Jesus is speaking here, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. The first response that Jesus gives When the lie of don't bother jumps up, is don't be afraid. Instead of seizing with fear and stopping the journey and stopping the story, our response can be to seize faith. Say, lead me on. You know, in certain parts of the world, it's dangerous to cross the road. I've been in places where there are so many tuk-tuks and motorcycles and random cars and things driving past that it looks like organised chaos, which it is. 
And in those situations, sometimes you're pressed with a scenario where we have to get from one side of the road to the other. And growing up in a rural town where sometimes you'd be on roads where cars maybe don't touch all day, the idea of pressing out is daunting. How do you do this? There's no traffic lights. There's no buttons that you can press where the green man starts running. And in those countries, he'd just start sprinting and he wouldn't stop. (laughs) And even if those things are built in those parts of the world and established and people press those buttons, they ignore them anyway. And so what do you do? I had to learn a lesson. You step out, keep walking and don't react. I learned the lesson that those who hesitate are lost. I don't know how many times I used to step out on the road like and almost cause accidents. And I'm not even on the road because every single person that's driving past is aware that I'm going to respond to what you're doing. And if I don't react in a way that they perceive is natural and fluid and smooth, then everything falls apart. And you think something that should be filled with accidents is actually caused by an Australian who was too scared to walk across the road. (laughs) We used to have a saying, he who hesitates is lost. You wouldn't believe how many times I'd step out. Come on, come on, come on, just go. And you'd go. Never, ever had an accident if I just set one foot in front of the other. Fear would seek to intimidate us. Fear is real. I don't know how you experience fear. But those ideas of it can't be done, it won't be done. You're not doing good enough. You don't have enough. That those words of fear, whether they come from the inside or the outside, would seek to cause us to stand still when the Holy Spirit would say, just set one foot in front of the other and you'll get to the other side. Seize faith instead of being seized with fear. Why bother? Because if you don't bother, if we don't bother, think of all the opportunities are robbed because we stayed stuck on the wrong side of the road. Who is waiting on the other side of your obedience? Who is waiting on the other side of you stepping out? Whether it's in the workplace and an opportunity comes up, for you to be able to step into situations and scenarios that need support and love and grace. All it often takes is just a willingness to say, I'll put one foot in front of the other and I'll let everything else go around me. That's not my problem. My problem is just grabbing hold of the confidence and grace to say, Lord, if You lead me on, then instead of fear, Instead of intimidation, instead of a why bother mentality that says, hold me back, I have a spirit of power, love and a sound mind. You are called to blaze a path because God wants to work in and through you, even where others would say, why bother? What else can we do? Deal with the voices. I think it's significant in that scenario that Jesus presented with disappointment and discouragement says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. But then as He goes into the environment, there's no faith in the atmosphere. 
In fact, it says that they've ridiculed Jesus. It's like taking that lie of why bother and upping it up with a snarkiness. I don't know if you've ever come up against that, whether it's been from those around you, whether it's been from family, or whether it's just been something you've picked up yourself. Ridicule. What am I doing? What am I doing here? Why am I here? What can I do in this situation and scenario? And it's significant that before Jesus did what He came to do, before Jesus came and ministered to the brokenness, He dealt with the ridicule. He kicked them out of the room. And so for us, we have to learn to deal with the voices. The voices that would say, you can't do it. The voices that would say, you don't have enough. The voices that would say, you haven't prepared, you don't know enough, it's somebody else's job. What if it's yours? And what if you have it to give? You know, I'm mindful that the original lie recorded in human history came through a being called the devil where he speaks to the first man and the first woman. And his statement to them is, has God really said? Did God say? The original ridicule. Each and every one of us is presented with that lie. What will we do with it? Have to remove the voices. Have to cut them off. Have to press into what God has available. It says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Let me say that again. You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You know, what we listen to and engage with shapes and defines us. What we listen to and engage with shapes and defines us. There's a part of me that if I was Jairus leading Jesus, I can imagine that those people that brought ridicule could have even been some of my friends. I mean, they were there at that setting. Community, influences, people that may have been important. And I don't know, being Jairus, if I would have had the guts to kick them out of the space. But Jesus responds by dealing with the voices. The confidence to say, has God really said yes? God said, don't be afraid, just believe. I think it's significant that when Jesus takes her by the hand and says, my child, get up, and her spirit returns at once, Jesus gives her something to eat. And in verse 56, it says, her parents were astonished, but He ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. What an interesting thing for Jesus to say that they were astonished. And his statement to them was, don't tell anyone what's taking place. I mean, it's not as if it's gonna be a secret. People had known he was a community leader. He was an influencer. He'd even gathered people around that were mourning on his behalf. And Jesus says to the parents, don't you go and tell anybody. But yet they were going to carry around this evidence of victory, this evidence 
of a turnaround, this evidence of Jesus meeting them in that situation and scenario. And I'm mindful that we're called to live our life on show, but we're not the show. That it's not really about the words that we use, it's the way that we live. And could you imagine that family, Jairus, walking around with his daughter, holding her, choosing not to say, but yet showing the reality of faith in Jesus. Could you imagine carrying around this relic, this, this visible reminder, this living example of life and hope and destiny? And we're called to live our life on show. But we're not the show. But the Holy Spirit working in and through you is. And so wherever your place, wherever you are, as a husband, you're on show. As a wife, you're on show. As a single, you're on show. As a worker, you're on show. As a child, you're on show. In your community, you're on show. And people watch to see who we are and what comes out. Your life is a living story of the grace of God that you get to carry with you wherever you are. You know, I'm mindful that today is a significant day in the calendar of church history. That on this day, over 2,000 years ago, God by His Spirit invaded the human story in such a way that there was no barrier for anybody to encounter and experience what God has available. This day is called the day of Pentecost. It was a day in history marked in Israel where people would come and present before God the first fruits of their labour and wave it before Him in the harvest season. And it's significant that Jesus fulfilled this promise for His followers that He said after He was going to ascend into heaven. After spending 40 days visiting it says in the Scriptures, with over 500 people, after He'd risen from the dead, visiting with over 500 people, that as He ascended, He told those that He visited and met with that you're to wait for the Holy Spirit who was going to come and enable you with power so you can take what I've given you and minister it out. And those people were called to wait. And as they were waiting, one day, two days, three days, four days. I don't know about you, but if I was in that scenario, maybe after three days, I wonder if the lie of why bother would have come up in my heart. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And somewhere along the line, maybe why bother started to take over. And a few people started to go to leave this space, to leave a meeting where people were waiting, waiting, waiting. Day seven, day eight, day nine, day 10. And what could have been a group of 500 has dwindled down to 120. 120. Ask the team, come and join me. 120. After all the ministry that Jesus had done, after all the miracles that He'd performed, after every village that He had visited, every Jairus He had met, 
every woman with the issue of blood who had reached out. After everything, 120, says in the book of Acts, were left in a room and they were waiting. I wonder if the others had caught up with why bother. I wonder if others had been captivated by the ridicule. I wonder what had happened to cause them to go. But for that 120 on this day, over 2,000 years ago, it says that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, on that day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. And doesn't stop there. From that day, a fisherman, uneducated, somebody that many would say was unqualified to stand up in a crowd, not only unqualified by education, but unqualified by previous example. Fisherman named Peter stood up on that day and preached a message that would have accounted for possibly a minute, 20 seconds at most, if he spoke slowly. It says on that day, 3,000 people were added to the faith. That God takes a fisherman and enables him to see lives changed and transformed. That on that day, the Spirit spreads and others are captivated to the point where they take it and run with it. Where it talks about a couple named Priscilla and Aquila who were displaced from their home in Rome. They'd been tent makers. They'd plied their trade, creating artisan tents. I assume of immaculate quality, handmade. And they've kicked out of their home in Rome because of persecution. But along the way, they receive this gift of God in the Holy Spirit. And they're so captivated that as they go around plying their trade from community to community to community, naturally they start pioneering places where others can come and meet God for themselves. Why bother? Why bother? Because on the other side of your obedience is a miracle. Is God working in and through you to change and transform and empower and build up. And I know the atmosphere that we live in today is rife like a lid that would say, you cannot go above this, but it's the heart of God for each and every one of His followers to be filled with His Spirit that enables each and every one of us to say, Lord God, let You do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think or pray through me. See, the reality is you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He has sealed you with a price. He set you apart. So why bother? Because Jesus leads us through 
to take us to the other side. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.